This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to the Triple Vision podcast, your window into the past, present, and future of blindness in Canada. This podcast has been made possible by a generous contribution from T-Base Communications and the support of the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. The mission of Triple Vision is to gather and document previously untold Canadian blindness narratives, one lived experience at a time, and to make our history accessible and universally known. Hello and welcome to Triple Vision. I'm David Best, bringing you our final episode for Season 1 of Triple Vision. Over the past 25 episodes, we have covered a lot of topics from the history of blindness to library services, advocacy, education, employment. And we feel that we barely covered the, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to a lot of the, the issues and challenges faced by blind Canadians. So to conclude our season one episodes, we'd like to introduce you to the Triple Vision team and some of the thoughts that we had as we explored all of these different topics. And with us is the team leader, Peter Fields. Thanks, David. As you said, I've had the pleasure of leading this team throughout our first season and experienced all the learnings that this team has experienced throughout um, the season. We started off with a team of five and uh, we lost one of our team members, unfortunately, in April when John Ray quickly and suddenly passed away. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in this episode as we go through it. But basically, at this point, we have yourself, David, Hannah Levitt, Myself, Peter Field, and Charlene Ayotte making up the Triple Vision team. So having said all of that, let's just talk about um, how the year went. And so David, maybe I'll just ask you to go first. What was your biggest surprise of the year? What was the thing that you were most surprised about? I I think the thing that uh, surprised me or, or pleased me the most was the fact that we have interviewed a number of people that, um, we had no idea really had such experiences and knowledge of certain areas that we were trying to explore. And it was very interesting and, and very enlightening to hear some of these experiences and start putting them into perspective of how I see things. And it's quite enlightening to see how some of our guests have express their challenges with employment and education and things that I really had no idea about. The, thing, the, the podcast that probably interested me the most from an ert- entertainment point of view was probably mm-hmm. our first two podcasts. I, mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed Serge interview on the history of veterans and the things like that started the CNIB and the CNIB library and the explosion in Halifax. And so I think from, from a, a history perspective, that was probably really the most interesting one for me. Yeah, our first two podcasts, we had Serge Durflinger, who wrote the book, uh, Veterans with a Vision, who talked about blinded veterans coming back from World War One, And as you said, David, how things got started. And then we followed it up with uh, an interview with uh, former CNIB CEO, Jim Sanders, who sort of took us through a history of the CNIB. Hannah, what are, what are your impressions? 
I think I was most impressed by how we thought we could cover a whole bunch of topics, but there was so much to cover and, and to try to narrow it down to a 20 or 25 minute timeline was, was really tough. So I, I think in our next year, we'll be able to elaborate a little bit more. We'll probably revisit some of those topics, but go mm-hmm. a little deeper in depth now that we've sort of raised the topics. The podcast that stuck with me the most was the eugenics. I was really impacted by the eugenics topic that we had, partially because of Charlie's story, where a physician actually told her that, you know, her daughter was going to end up in prison uh, based on uh, the fact Charlie was blind and and couldn't properly raise her child uh, when all her three-year-old was doing was acting like a three-year-old. But I was really moved by Jeffrey Riom's story about eugenics and how, you know, in the early days, blind people were housed in asylums with mentally ill people and with cognitively challenged people. Yeah, that was definitely the podcast that impacted me most, where Jeffrey Riom and I sat down to talk about A.R. Kaufman, the um, treasurer of the Canadian Eugenics Society, who practiced sterilization out of his uh, shoe factory in Kitchener. And we talked about you know, what, what that was and, and him writing letters to the CNIB and basically saying, CNIB, you're not doing your job because in order to prevent blindness, these people have to be sterilized, which was just horrifying, of course. And Edwin Baker, the managing director of CNIB at the time saying, well, no, I'm not going to send you blind people to be sterilized because not all blind people um, need to be sterilized. Only those who are born blind uh, should be sterilized, not those who have lost their um, vision later in life, which again, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but it was something like that. And that we found out that Baker himself had written letters saying um, that they would support the sterilization of a couple of men in um, Brockville. So definitely a horrifying time. It was sort of an accepted idea of the time, actually. Thankfully, for only a, a shorter period of time, I think um, we're talking about the certainly the 30s and then into the 40s. And I'm going to guess that once the world realized what the Nazis were doing in, in form uh, in the way of practicing eugenics in concentration camps, that very quickly eugenics, for the most part, went out of fashion as an idea. And that was the one that had the greatest impact on me as well, partly because it, it meant giving up my anonymity with respect to my eugenics experience having gone through sterilization because it was recommended at a time when I was most vulnerable, where I learned that my eyesight would fail farther and that nothing was going to change that. And, And I was terrified. So at that vulnerable moment, they said, they suggested, or the doctor suggested, that there was nothing more they could do for me. They set my fault to CNIB, and that was the end of it, except for the sterilization, which meant I couldn't have more children because they felt it was congenital, and I didn't think I should pass it on to future generations. Well, it's not congenital. We kind of know more about it at this point in time. So, um, yeah, just just coming clean on that was my experience from the very beginning. And it ultimately t- tainted my perspective with respect to service providers 
are not medical cl clinicians. They are service providers, um, a, a service provider that was providing a different level of service to blind people. They certainly were no experts on the, the physiology of um, my condition. So, Charlie, you just corrected me in the sense that I had said following the 40s that uh, eugenics probably fell out of favor in terms of a practice to eradicate um, congenital blindness, blindness from birth. And here, you know, we have a situation where Ford another, what, 30, 40 years later, and you've got a doctor giving was, you the same advice. Yeah, it was 1976. Yeah, yeah, 30 years later. So that was still that was still going on. So. And, and my situation was in the 80s, so. Yeah, and that's what we were calling soft eugenics, uh, correct, Hannah? Where I think the, I think the, we kind of adopted that term later mm -hmm. on in the story. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it was a tr it was tricky because you kind of had to make that adjustment between what is like blatant eugenics versus disguised kind of eugenics. So that's where we came up with that term, soft eugenics. It's like, how do you recognize what eugenics is, looks like in practice? Right. right. And we had Dr. Bonnie Lashowitz talking to us about that as well on one of those episodes, a professor from University of Calgary who talked about, you know, even things like group homes being a form of eugenics in the sense of um, anything that sort of leads to taking away people's agency and people's ability to make decisions about themselves is, is may, could be deemed as a form of uh, eugenics. So, Charlie, I want to pick up on a point that Hannah's raised and you've talked about a lot and that we haven't really explored enough and didn't explore enough in season one. And that's the idea of stereotyping and the idea of stigma and how stereotyping really is at a root a lot of a lot of the things that we talked about this season. In episode 24, there was a, a very um, extensive conversation about attitudes, attitudes of blind people and attitudes of employers. And I felt that we missed something in, in that episode from the standpoint of for over a century, uh, there has been uh, a negative impact of stereotyping of blind people as a way of pulling on people's heartstrings to get them to give more money to charities and not-for-profits. We've been handicapped by a narrative which is not our own. As We've been viewed as dependent and helpless and and in, much like in the days of the asylum, that we we need to be treated in a charitable way. Technology has changed that, and the narrative must also change. If, if the narrative should never have happened in the way that it did anyway. But that, that narrative must change now because we're online, we're purpose-built for the internet, where we can experience it with sound and we can get access to the same information as everybody else, so long as it's accessible, um, anytime and anywhere. So it, it, it's time to rewrite that story about a future where we are full engaged participants in all aspects of society. Yeah, David, what do you think? I mean, we've talked about the fact that we really... I th and I, I would agree that uh, in season one, we, we kind of 
just scratched the surface and we're just sort of getting now down to the issues of what what lay underneath what what are your ideas about that there's a lot there and we sort of touched on a lot of the key points i think but i think we're at the point in our canadian era of going through a major cultural shift change in attitudes and it's it's sort of going to be a painful shift because as people with disabilities, low vision, blindness, we have been put in a a role or a position where we've been dependent on people over the past. But as Charlie said, technology has made a big difference in our lives. But yet people are, well, people are people. We're all human. We all have biases. We all have stereotypes. We all have attitudes. And I think the challenge that we have is that we're such a small group that um, our, a lot of what we say sort of gets overlooked. And even today, we see that a lot of the the traditional way of doing things sort of lingers on, and we, we've got to sort of try and figure out how we can shift that thought process. You know, like, for example... Today, we, we depend on computers, technology, the iPhone, and everything like that, and it makes a huge difference in our life. But for the most part, we're basically told what we need. We're not really given much of the opportunity to say, you know, I'm the end user, and this is really what I want. This is how I do things. But in, in, the, in the process, there's designers that design these technologies and they're very brilliant people and they know what they're doing, but they don't use the technology. And so they're telling us, yeah, I think you need this, you know, to help you and this will be good for you. So we still see a lot of that. And even in social services, we see it. We have to go to a, a nonprofit organization to get a lot of the services like employment and what have you that should be in the public realm. And, and I think that's happening as we talk to Dan, who's the principal at Brantford School, we see that that thought process is slowly shifting. And even in the government where the challenge is the biggest, I think we have the biggest challenge in changing government attitudes, bureaucrat attitudes, because you look at, for example, in Ontario, we have the assistive devices program. And it is a very typical colonialism run program where you're told what you need. If I want to get assistance to buy technology, even though I've spent more than 30 years in the IT industry and I have a really good background in technology, I still have to pay to go and talk to a bureaucrat who's going to tell me what I need to help me use the internet. So I I think we're going through a culture shift with a lot of these things, and it's going to be a very painful shift over the next few years. I'm glad you raised the issue of colonialism, David, because episode four, I believe we talked about colonialism. We we um, talked to Doreen Demas, who is uh, Indigenous, about her experiences at the um, W. Ross McDonald School or the Ontario School for the Blind, I think as it was called when she went, and her struggle with 
you know, not being able to fit into the education system, either as a blind person or an indigenous person and what that intersection meant. But there's a lot that we need to explore, I think, further with respect to uh, colonialism and what the echoes of that mean or have meant. And then you've raised it in the context of the assistive devices program. At this point, though, I'd like to bring in our technical producer, the guy who's helped us out, uh, certainly in the, the last half of the season, Jacob Shemansky. Jacob is our focus group of one, who, as well as keeping us on track technically, lets us know what, uh, what he's thinking of the podcast. Uh, Jacob, welcome onto the show. Can we get some impressions from you, what you think of the, the episodes you've been hearing so far? Well, I do work on this show a lot, but I really feel like I am the very first listener and I do find it fascinating. I, while I do find the show really entertaining, more than anything, I think it's an exercise in academia because it feels like this is almost, it's going to be relevant 20 years from now just to see where we were at as mm -hmm. a community. And it's going to stand the test of time. It's still going to be relevant. I've learned a whole lot in this show, but something that really stuck out to me was in one of the episodes on employment, David made a really good point that technology has really been a game changer in letting us be productive members of society. And it seems to me like the employment numbers for, for blind and low vision people have hovered around like between 70 to 90% unemployment or underemployment depending on where you look, but those numbers haven't changed. And even today we're, we're around those numbers. But I think one of the main reasons is because people haven't caught on that technology is this game changer for us. We know it, but mm. the, the people at large don't really know of it. Like I've come across so many people who think like, oh, no, no, no. Like, how do you do emails? Like, how do you browse the internet? Like, how would you do research? Like people just don't know. And you you have to make an effort to go out there and and make it known. Jacob, you're reminding me of advocacy, and we've talked about that a lot. We had a few shows on advocacy, and that show on on employment as well talked about. I think you talked about it actually, Hannah. What happens when you have to be the person who has the skills and the qualifications for the job and go out and get the job, but yet you have to also be the person that. Um, educates that pr prospective employer on the fact that you can do the job and, and you know, you have to advocate for yourself and being able to, the to, to do the job as a person who is blind as opposed to, you know, everybody else who doesn't have that kind of pressure on them. Advocacy then reminds us of John Ray. And John was part of our team from day one. Uh, John also had a strong interest in history and a strong interest in telling our history from our lived experience perspective and sadly passed away in April. And I think as a team, we felt that loss all the way through. Ironically, we had just recorded an episode with John talking about his own advocacy just maybe two weeks before he passed away. I think John really gave us all permission to speak out more. Like I say, I've sort of experienced, you know, not learning not to speak out and, you know, to be more grateful for everything. And John kind of revived my inner rebel by saying, it's okay to speak out. You must speak out. Yeah, John was our advocate. He uh, probably was very 
uh, up front and out there in the community fighting for what he thought was best for our community. So Peter, in conclusion, I, I think it's been a great learning experience. At least for me, it's been a great learning experience in working with the team and producing Triple Vision and learning all this this information that hopefully people will be able to pick up and use in their models of social interaction and training, education, employment. But maybe you might want to give our listeners a little bit of idea what the Pandora team is going to do because we did get turned down for funding. So we're not at this point going to go forward and produce the book and academic education materials as we had hoped, but we are planning to have a season two triple vision. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about where you'd like to see things go from here. I don't know uh, what the future is holds in terms of a book and um, learning curriculum. But I think what you've highlighted, David, is the fact that the story needs to be told and and we're not going to go away and uh, like-minded people who believe the story needs to be told are not going to go away until that story is told. So I don't, I don't know how we're going to move forward with funding at this point, but we're going to continue to tell the story through these um, podcasts. And I think as a team, we're committed to being more edgy in this coming season. We um, really feel that we sort of nibbled around the edges a bit. We, you know, got into the issues and then kind of backed off a little bit. Uh, you know, we, we told the story of education from the point of view of you know, people who had the lived experience and, and people who talked about what their experiences were at the various uh, schools for the blind across the country. But did we really get into the edgy issue of segregation versus integration? Yeah, Peter, and I think it should be noted that we sort of represent the grassroots of the blind community in this podcast because none of us are representing any real organizations, but I think it's mm-hmm. been a great opportunity that AMI has a, has allowed us to have the opportunity to express these, these uh, stories and narratives that otherwise are not expressed. And of course, we wouldn't have done it without the support of T-based communications and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. So I just like to uh, note that Season one has been successful because AMI has supported our our narrative, T-Bay supported our financial needs, and AEBC supported our networking needs. Yeah, and I may just put in a plug in here um, for the fact that um, AEBC, AEBC did support us in terms of various ways through contract arrangements with AMI, but as a result of the success of this podcast, uh, another podcast is going to be launched uh, on AMI starting in September, uh, a podcast on finance literacy coming out of um, some grant money that ABC received from the Canadian Council on Rehabilitation and Work through um, the federal government. So look forward to kind of a spinoff of Triple Vision called Eyes on Your Money coming up in September, but I just want to give Charlie and Hannah the last word in (laughs) words uh, in terms of what you're looking forward to in season two. Charlie? I'm looking forward to a conversation that 
talks about how governance matters in which narratives take priority when we're talking about nothing about us without us and how the current governance models are not working to support that perspective. Yeah, and for me, education has always been a very important um, goal for me. And we talk a lot about educating the able-bodied community about blindness. But I think our podcast also has, we also have to remember that in terms of our history and where we've come from, you know, we also need to educate other blind people about it. I mean, I've, I've talked to lots of different friends that have listened to the podcast and had no idea about some of the aspects of our history. So, Peter, that wraps up season one, and we're looking forward to moving into season two. And I think we're going to be wanting to get into these topics much more deeply and, and interview some people that have some real experiences that can talk about some of these subjects. Do you like to let our listeners know what our plans are for the second season? Yeah. So we have, I think, big plans for season two in the sense that um, as we went through this season, we noticed kind of a theme going on and we sort of hit upon it uh, about halfway through the season called The Single Story. So there is a TED Talk or YouTube video out there, which is what happens when you tell only one side of the story, the single story. And that's where we want to pick up, I think, in season two is, is there a single story that's been told or is being told about Canadians who are blind, deafblind, and visually impaired? And what does that mean? So looking at maybe some of the same topics, but a little bit more in depth about if there's a single story being told about those topics, what does that mean for us? So that's what we're thinking about season two, David. Well, that's a wrap. Okay. So, okay. All right. So that's the core to season two. Thanks, everyone, for a wonderful season one. Triple Vision is made possible by the generous support of T-Base Communications and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. Triple Vision is produced in collaboration with Accessible Media, Inc., AMI-audio. Jacob Shemansky is the technical producer and Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And finally, thank you for joining us on this journey. If you would like to reach out to Triple Vision with questions and comments, you can reach us at triplevision21 at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at triplevision21.